Well, since I'm talking about prayer this morning, I'm going to pray one more time before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this day, and Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we look to your word right now, that you would guide and direct uh, my speech and my, my, my words that um, truly it would be just you that comes through. Lord, I pray with every heart in the room that it would be open to hear your word, that you would soften and, and open the hearts of, of all the listeners in this room. Help us to understand your word, and, and if there's areas with, that we need to repent, Lord God, I pray that we be ready and willing to do that. In your name I pray, amen. Um, this year, this, and when I say year, I'm a school teacher, so when I say year, I'm thinking about from September to you know May. That's just how I think. I've been teaching long enough. So when I say this year, I'm thinking that. This year I've been asked to pray a lot more than I probably ever have in my life. Um, we had that wreck at the school, right? Remember sharing that? And, and then after that, there was uh, down in Ridge Farm Elementary, which a lot of us knew the, the girl that uh, committed suicide down there. And there was, there's been some other tragedies since then. We had one just a couple weeks ago. Um, but then other things, there's, uh, because of those things, there's been some uh, times where meals at the school, I mean, here I'm in a public school and I'm in the cafeteria, been, there's been times I've been in the cafeteria with all the teachers and we're sitting there holding hands and I'm praying. And you just don't hear about that kind of thing happening in a public school very often. Uh, but even beyond that, there's been times with uh, friends. It, it's funny how when you're a pastor and you, you sit down at a meal at a restaurant and we're getting ready to eat, everybody just kind of looks at you like you know you're the guy that's supposed to pray, right? Well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to pray, right? So go ahead. And so, uh, you know, it, that just happens. And Or like uh, coming up, there's going to be a, a, a meal that they're going to do at the school, kind of a, a dinner banquet thing, and, and they ask me to give an invocation, you know, and that's opening up this, this uh, time in prayer. And so there's been just so many times where I've been asked to pray, like I said, probably more than any other time in my life, this has been happening. People have been asking me to pray for things, and it just happens all the time. I think that's probably natural when you're the pastor or the preacher, that's going to happen. But you know what? The Bible teaches something a little bit different as far as who should be praying. And I think you probably know this, don't you? It's not just the pastors that are supposed to be praying, right? It's everybody. Jesus many times taught all of his followers to pray. Everybody that was following, he'd say, this is, you need to pray. Uh, he taught, pray, pray for your enemies. In Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells his followers, pray for your enemies. Right? Pray for your enemies. That's a command. Are you guys Bible believers, by the way? I'm just checking. Okay. So you guys are Bible believers. Okay. So you, so you would say, if Jesus tells us to do something, this is something we should be doing. Right? Okay, well, Jesus commands us, pray for your enemies. Do you do that? Hopefully, hopefully you do. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, Christ tells his followers, he looks out over a group of people, and he looks at them like they're a harvest, ready. He's talking about their souls. He says, it's like a harvest. It's like a field ready for harvest. And he looks at his, his disciples, his close followers, and he says, he says, you guys need to pray for God to send people into this group. Pray for laborers, he says. Right? So here, I mean, here he's saying, he's not going to a pastor and saying praying, he's going to his followers and saying, you guys need to pray that God will send people to preach. Right? He's not going to the preachers. Well, they, of course, he does turn around and then sends them, right? He asks them to pray, and then he turns them into the ones that he's going to send. Matthew 26, um, he tells all of his followers to pray that they won't enter into temptation. He says, pray, pray that you won't enter. When you're tempted, you're not going to enter into that. Pray for This is something you need to pray for. Luke 18, I really like this one. Luke 18, 1 says this. It says, and he, he, he told them a parable. And I'm, I'm reading Luke 18, 1. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. So he's, he tells them a story, but it tells them the, the, the writer of Luke, right? Luke, he he says this is why he told this particular parable. And so, forget the parable for a second. He's clearly saying this parable, this story, is that you ought always to pray. And this is not even to mention all the, the hundreds of times, well, that may be an exaggeration, the many times that Christ just started a conversation by saying, when you pray, this is how you should do it. In other words, the people knew that they should be praying, right? 
But he says, just so you know that when you're praying, this is how it should happen. This is how you should do it. And so he taught them to pray so often. Where they knew they should be praying, he was just telling them how to do that. James, when he wrote his letter, uh, he wrote to his readers about praying when when you're suffering and when you're sick. He says, if you're suffering, pray. And when you're sick, pray. Now, he does it with very much in mind. You know, there should be an intense thought about your own sin. And so if you're sinning, you need to be confessing those things to God. That's a bigger, important thing, more important than that, more important than your physical well-being. You need to be taking care of your spiritual well-being. And then I shared with you last week in 3 John, and I asked you, would you like me to pray for you this way? And some of you are like, no. (laughs) In 3 John, John tells his friend Gaius, he writes to Gaius, and he says, hey, I'm going to be praying for you that that you'll be healthy and that your, your life will go smooth for you. And I pray that you'll be just as healthy and life will go just as smooth uh, that it will match your spiritual health. Right? How would you like that if you called me up, you weren't feeling good, and you called me up to say, could you pray for me, Matt? And I, what if I said, you know what, I will pray that you'll be just as healthy as your spiritual health. Uh, wait, well, I'll call you back in a couple of days, right? <laughs> I don't know if I wanted you to pray that or not, right? But that's what John did. He prayed. And why, why would they talk like that? Because there was a deeper concern, not for the physical well-being, but for the spiritual well-being. They were more concerned about those things than they were about the physical things. Um, in many letters, Paul told his readers, you know, he writes to his readers, and he says, hey, would you, guys, would you pray for me? You know, instead of you know, them saying, Paul, would you pray for me? Although if I met Paul, I might ask him to pray for me. But you know, here, he had an opposite effect. Many of his letters, he would write to his readers and say, hey, would you pray for me, please? Pray for me. Pray for us that are ministering. Pray for us. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, a verse that many of us know, Paul encourages those readers to pray without ceasing. Right? Have you heard that one before? Pray without ceasing. There's an ongoingness to pray. Now, I could go on. But I just want to share one more with you, though. Uh, this one I shared in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. I don't remember how long ago it was, with the guys. In 1 Timothy chapter 2... Verse 1, and I'm not gonna, I'll put something up on the screen for you in just a second. Let me just give you a little background in 1 Timothy 2. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 1, he says, First of all, then I urge, right? So he's, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, he's telling Timothy what, he, what kinds of things he should preach and teach and do and how church should go, right? So that Timothy is a pastor. He'll know what church should be like. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, Hey, first of all, I ur- then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Right? Now he's talking not just to Timothy. This is what everybody should be doing. Right? Everybody needs to be praying for everybody. Right? For all the people. Then he goes into some examples of people that are in authority. Like uh, this is why we as Christians we say we should, you know, just be real specific. Instead of just going around and bad-mouthing maybe the president or some other government official, what we should be doing is praying for him, right? And we can stick up for truth, but we definitely need to say, we need to pray for our leaders, right? Pray for those in authority over us. Whether, they, whether, whether they're a Christian or not, we can pray for these people. I mean, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if God were to step in and intervene in the hearts of the leaders of this country? We would love that, and that would be great for them. And besides everything else... Besides laws, besides how we think government should go, we're talking about human souls, right? Human souls. Real people that we need to be praying for, for their salvation, for their safekeeping, and for wisdom. There's so much that we could pray for. But then Paul, or, um, yeah, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he's telling him hey, you should pray for everybody. He talks about all ways that you should pray. And he gets down to uh, verse 8. And he gets a little bit more specific. So he's urged everybody to pray. But then in verse 8, he says this. Let me skip ahead here. Verse 8, he says this. I desire then, and that desire means I want. This is what I really want. In fact, this word can be sometimes translated as will. Like Paul saying, I will this to happen. Right? I want this to happen. This is what I desire. That in every place, who should be praying? It's up there. You can read it. The men. Right? Men, pray. And what's he say after that? How, what kind of praying is he talking about? What's he say? Lift up holy hands in prayer. Hey, wait a minute. Are you guys Bible believers? You guys believe the Bible's true? You believe that God it divinely inspired 
this verse? Yeah. All right? Men? Ever? And you know what you might think is so ironic about this? Look at the rest of that. He says, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. The word, the word quarreling is, is a Greek word where we get the word dialogue. It almost looks like the word dialogue. Dialoguing. Now, let's think about the irony of this. Many men have a tendency to, in a group like this, hold back. Now, there's a lot of reasons why someone might hold back. But a lot of times men have a tendency to get in a group, though, and be like, you know, that really bothers me. You know, I just don't think this should be this way. And they just start dialoguing, right? Angry. They don't have a problem doing that. You know what's really interesting? Nine times out of ten, the guy that's ready to get ticked off and angry and argue is the last guy that will do what? Pray. That might be good. But what Paul says is, I, I want men to get rid of that kind of behavior and put on this kind of behavior. Right? In other words, God gave you that mouth and there's something that God wants you to do with that mouth. And here's one example. Instead of being angry, arguing men, what's he want you to do? Be praying men. Men of prayer. Right? And so Paul, even though he told Timothy, I urge you know, prayers for everybody, men, I really want you to pray in every place, wherever you're at, lifting up holy hands. Don't be arguing angry men. Be praying men. Right? Praying men. But now, we're going to move on. Because sometimes we say, well, man, it's hard. A lot of us don't know how to pray. Like we see a verse like that and we're like, okay, how do you do that? How? Pray. What's that look like? How do I pray to God? Right? How do I do that? Now, a while ago we talked about Jesus gave an example of prayer. Right? Gave an example of prayer. He talked to real basic. And we actually looked at that while we were here. We were studying the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And he kind of gave a basic outline. A lot of us know the Lord's Prayer. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We know that. Right? But today, we want, I want to look at Paul's prayer. We're just going to look at what he actually said. Now, now Paul, we talked about last week, we talked about his motivation. And we talked about some other things. I really want to talk about the motivation just for a second before we dig into the prayer. Paul's motivation, remember he says right at the beginning in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 21, he starts off for this reason or for this cause, right? In other words, for this cause, right? I'm behind a cause and, and, and for the cause of Christ, for the gospel. And that, I mean, that's all he's been talking about for three chapters. The gospel, what God is doing in the world. And it's big, it's huge, it's this amazing thing that's going on. And he says, this cause... Because of this, I'm praying for you, right? I'm praying for you because of the gospel, because of this. And so we want to take a look at this. What does a a prayer look like that's motivated and, and, and moved by who Jesus is, by the gospel? What would somebody pray when, when they start thinking this way? When they start thinking about the gospel, how would they pray? Because it's, it's a tough thing. It's a challenging thing. And so we're, we're going to look at this. What, what, kind of, what kind of praying, what kinds of things do we talk about? Now, I'm going to mention at the end, but I just want to say right at the beginning as well, understand that what I'm not doing, this is what I'm not doing. I'm not talking about sounding eloquent. Right? There, there, are, there are sometimes, I can remember as a kid, there's sometimes there would be certain people that would pray, and it was beautiful. Right? I mean, I just listened to him and I went, that was an amazing prayer. That guy used words I didn't even know existed. Right? Anybody ever feel like that? Certain people get up and they just pray and you're just like, wow, that's amazing. That was a good prayer. I mean, I don't even know what he was saying, but it sounded great. Right? That's not what I'm promoting. We want to look at the content. What was Paul talking about? Right? What was he talking about? I mean, Paul clearly was probably one of those guys that people would listen to and go, that was amazing. I mean, he said so many things I didn't even think about, right? But we just want to take a look at it and say, what was he talking about, though? What was he actually praying for? Because it's not about sounding... I guarantee that God has never once heard somebody pray and thought, that was amazing. (laughs) Right? 
I mean, we're talking about God who invented language. I mean, he's not going to be impressed by our prayers, right, in that way. That's not what it's about. So we've got we to, first of all, let's just get rid of that out of our heads. And, and if you ever think to yourself, man, I, I thought about praying, but man, I, I know I'm not, I'm not going to sound like that. That's, that's fear man. And we just, we just got to get rid of that right now. That's not what it's about. So that's gone. That's off the table. We're not even going to think about it anymore. Right? It's not about sounding good in front of other people. That's a sinful way of thinking. Right? That's gone. Okay. So now, let's talk about what did Paul pray, and let's see, what did he talk about? So Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to just look at some parts of it. Okay? Paul says, For, for this reason... I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a good prayer, wasn't it? Paul knew how to pray. But we want to take a look at this and see what was he talking about. What was Paul talking about? So, every commentary I read took this prayer and every single one that I read, I'm not even exaggerating with you, Every single commentary I read broke this prayer down a different way. Do you know how frustrating that is when you're trying to study something and not even the commentaries agree? You're like, what in the world? They all, some of them broke it down. There's three requests and there's two of these. That's how I mentioned it last week. Some of them broke it down. There's five. There's two. There's one big request. I mean, they just all of them broke it down differently. So I said, okay, Lord, how can I break this down? So instead of breaking it down that way, we're just going to say there's five elements to the actual prayer. Okay, and I'm just going to call them elements. Whether, and what's interesting about these as you listen to them, they're kind of like a chain. One kind of connects to the next one, and they kind of relates back to the previous one. It's like this chain. It's almost like one big long request, but it it's definitely has different parts. So we're going to break it down to five specific parts that he prayed for. And so we're going to start in uh, verse 16, the second half of verse 16, because he, said, he just said, I'm going to pray for something according to... I want to pray for something to be, to be answered in, in, comparing it to how rich God is, right? To the riches of His glory. So we're talking something big already, right? And so what's he say first? Number one, he says this, and I'm going to describe it this way. Inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Notice how Paul says it. He says that He may grant you or give you. That's what that word means. He's praying that God may just give you. Um, grant you to be strengthened. The word strengthened means made mighty, right? Made mighty. Strengthened with power. Power is the word that we use in chapter 1, or Paul used in chapter 1. It's the Greek word dunamis, which means, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the word we get the word dynamite, right? Power. That God may give, make you mighty with power, right? With power. Um, where at? Or through what? It says, through His Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of God, right? Through His Spirit, in your inner being. And the inner being is talking about, uh, as opposed to the outer being. The inner being is referring to the heart, the soul, the mind, right? What's on the inside. And so, Paul's clearly just saying simply, I'm praying that God will give you, uh, or grant it for you, to be strengthened, made mighty, right? With power, from the Spirit of God, in you. Now, I've got to be honest, already, that's, the, the word that comes to my mind is audacious. Have you heard the word audacious before? Right? Audacious as in, you know, are you seriously asking for that? Are you nuts? 
right? Are you crazy to be asking? You can't ask for that, right? It's, I get picture, the picture in my mind of uh, the, the orphan Oliver, right? What's he go up and says, may I have more soup, please, right? Anybody ever seen the Oliver movie or the, the play? It's like, what are you doing? This is what Paul's doing. I'm praying. Now, let's think about it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and Paul uses very similar words in chapter 1 to talk about the power that rose Christ up from the grave, right? That's powerful. I should have put my movie of the exploding sun up here again, right? We're talking about big-time power. To actually re-put the cells back to you. I mean, Jesus has been dead long enough that it was an amazing miracle for him to rise from the dead. And, and, and the fact that it didn't, it didn't come from an outside source, but it's actually the Spirit of God, right, rose him up. That it wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's a little bit different. That's still amazing. But Christ himself rose from the dead, and it was from the power of the Spirit of God. And Paul's using the same kind of words here. Paul's going to God and saying, God, would you give these people at this church, would you give them power from your Spirit? Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't sink into you a little bit, where you're going, that is, that's a big request. Right? That's a big request, Paul. Paul's doing it. He's praying for these people. Power. Now, I, I'm going to say right now, you've got to be thinking about this. If you, you, I mean, you've got to let these words sink in a little bit for you to get it. See, if I just sit up here, if you're waiting for me to say it in such a way that you're going to go, oh, wow, that is big. It's not going to happen. Okay, I, I don't have the ability to, to phrase it perfectly so you go, wow. You're going to have to chew on this. Think about it. Paul is praying that God would grant that these people would be made mighty by the power of the Spirit of God inside of them. It's amazing. Amazing request. So the first thing, inner strength through the Holy Spirit is Paul is asking for. Why is he asking for that? We're going to get to that. These, these kind of connect together, remember? The second one, I'm going, to, I'm going to use this phrase, settled by Christ. Now this could be confusing because when you think settled, you may not be thinking the right thing. So let me explain what I mean by the word settled. Think settled like the way the Wild West was settled, right? Uh, or, or think settled the way, you, you, if, if you were to go into an uninhabited part of the planet and then suddenly years later it's full of people, right? Inhabited, settled by Christ. Listen to what Paul prays for. He says, first that you be granted, uh, that you be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this kind of flips some things. Now, the, the, the word settled, by the way, the word dwell, when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that's where I get that. That word dwell means settled or inhabited, right? And so Paul's praying that you will be inhabited by Jesus Christ. Now, this is kind of backwards. Usually when Paul talks about the relationship between you and Christ, he usually talks about us abiding in Him, right? Us dwelling in Him. And, and, but this time he says, I, he's praying that Christ will dwell in your heart. Right? Now, there's a clear connection here because you can't have Christ dwelling in your heart except through the power of the Spirit. Right? And you can't have the power of the Spirit apart from Christ dwelling in your hearts. And so there's a definite clear connection with these two things, but there's still a progression here. In salvation itself, where salvation is made possible by the Spirit of God and Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And that through faith brings about that, that personal element to it. You know, faith is so often misunderstood, and we talk about this a lot here. But faith is not a feeling. It's not Faith isn't like really trusting really hard, right? That's not faith. Faith is a different view of the world, right? So Christ, He makes completely different how you view everything. Suddenly, your hopes, your dreams, your faith, your trust, everything is all about Jesus Christ. That's faith. What do you care about the most? Jesus. What do you want to see in life? Jesus, I just want to see Jesus. What, what, what's the one thing you can't do without Jesus? You mean you could lose everything else? Yeah. I don't want to, but I could, I could if I just have Jesus. See, that's faith. See, you, you change. See, and the reason why it's, we call it faith is because it's a true change of belief system. You recognize that Jesus is the greatest treasure a human being could ever have. 
And so faith is understanding that. You, you could, you'd never think that on your own. Paul said earlier that you were born dead in your trespasses and sin, but Christ has made you alive. And part of that being made alive is that you suddenly you realize Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything to me. Jesus is all I care about. I just want Him. And He did it all. I don't, I don't have any reliance on myself anymore to change myself or, or to fix myself or anything. He is the solution to every problem. It's Him. It's all about Him. And apart from faith, and apart from the power of the Spirit, that would never happen. And so Paul's specifically praying for the people of this church to, have, to be made mighty by the power of the Spirit of God in their inner beings, and then that Christ would dwell, inhabit their heart, sit on the throne of their heart, that Jesus is now your King of your life. That's all you want. That happens through faith. But then Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Didn't stop there. I mean, that's pretty audacious. He's going to go a step further. That Christ, the one who made the universe, that created it by the word of his power, is going to dwell in you? That's insane. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes a step further. Now, this next one may not seem like a step further. It may seem a little bit different. But you have to understand what this next one is. And I'm going to call this next one rooted and established in love. Okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts in faith, that you, verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded, or rooted and founded in love, right? And you're going to keep going from there, but this, this next little statement, you can't miss this. It uses an agricultural term, rooted, right? Like a tree, dug deep into what? Love. Now we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the God of the universe. By His power, by Christ, Christ has loved us before we first loved Him. But see now, as people, we are rooted into love. And notice what else? Founded or established. It's, a, it's an architectural word, like a foundation of a building, right? But what's interesting is that the tense of both of these words, the rooted and the grounded, both of them are referring to something that's happened, and that's why in English language here we have the word being rooted. It means it's happened but it's going to keep happening, right? In other words, it's kind of like a plant that's rooted, right? If it's really rooted well, what's it going to do? Grow. Like a building that has a foundation, if it's got a good solid foundation, what's going to happen? It's going to be built. And so what this is talking about is saying that as, as people, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you as people, the very foundation of the, your very being, because of the power of the Spirit, because Christ is dwelling in you, you are going to be a loving people. You're going to be a loving people. Without dwelling on this too long, if you're not a loving person, I mean, if you don't walk through this town, if you don't see the people around you, if you don't look around you at this church and, and look at these people and just think, I love these people. Right? You need to question whether or not Christ is dwelling in your heart. Because if, if you have the power of the Spirit of God and Christ is dwelling in your heart, the natural outcome to that is that you are going to be someone that is rooted deep into love. I mean, it's going to be in the very fibers of your being. And you're going to have this foundation of love that's, that's, that's about everything that you do in life for the people around you. Right? No longer are you living for yourself because Christ's power is in you, because Jesus is dwelling in you. You're going to be a person of love. You'll be rooted and grounded in love. It's, it's just a natural outpouring of what God is doing on the inside will come out. You know, this is why in, in 1 John, John would say things like this. If a man says that he loves God, but doesn't love his brother, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, that sounds so harsh, but not until you understand who Jesus is. And understand what Jesus does, and that He's dwelling in you. Well, then it just makes sense. You you can't. In fact, John goes on. He says, "How can you say? How can you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love your brother whom you have seen?" Right? It's just John said this is just logical. You can't love God and hate people. It's impossible. If you really love God because God loves you and Christ's love is in you, that's going to come out. It's, it's undeniable. But Paul is specifically praying that this will be going on in this church. Right? In this church. So rooted and grounded in love. 
Note it then. Number four. To comprehend... This is where Paul's just going off the deep end. To comprehend the incomprehensible. Right? To comprehend the incomprehensible. Right? Comprehend means grasp, literally. And I'll read the verse in a second. The word comprehend means to grab a hold of, literally. In the Greek, that's what the word means. Right? To grab it. Okay? So listen to this. Um, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength. And this time the word strength is not the same word as earlier. The word earlier said it means to be made mighty. This time it means to be made able. Right? To be made able. It's a different Greek word this time. To be made able. You have the ability to do what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. To know, right? You hear that? To know the love of Christ. That, That does what? That surpasses what? Knowledge. Paul just prayed that people will be able to know what goes beyond knowledge. Let that sink in for a second. Paul's praying that you're going to be able to know something that's beyond... Not, it, the word surpass means... like it, It's a word that can be used in the, in the Greek language to talk about like if... They didn't play football, but like if I threw a ball um, beyond somebody's grasp, that's what that word is talking about. It's just beyond. It's past it. So Paul says, I want you to know something that's beyond knowing. Beyond knowledge. This is an amazing thing that Paul's asking for here, isn't it? It's beyond knowledge. I want, he said, I want you to be able to grasp it. And notice, I like how he says, I, that all these things, notice that, that you, it keeps throwing in that, that you may be able to, that this will happen. There's definitely a building of these ideas here. And with this one here, it says, that you may have strength, the ability to comprehend. Right? Which you wouldn't if you didn't have the power of the Spirit of God. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have Christ dwelling in you in a real way that's being lived out in your life. If it wasn't genuine, right, then there's no way that you would ever... If you don't know love, you're not going to be able to know the love of Christ. Do you see how these things build? And if you don't know love for others, you will never understand the love of Christ. Because Christ loved us when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died the ungodly. A good man might be willing to die for somebody that's worth it, but Christ died for those who were not worth it. There's a lie that goes around. You'll hear it every once in a while. Someone say, you know how you know how special you are. You are so special. You are so valuable to God that He died for you. That's that's a lie. Christ didn't die because you were amazing. Christ died because He was amazing. Christ died for a bunch of sinners. There was not one redeeming characteristic in you, and yet Christ died for you. He is worth it. He is magnificent. Right, right? Magnificent. He's glorious, Christ is. And Paul says, I want you to get it. I want you to grasp the love of Christ. The, the, the breadth, the length, the, the, the height depth of the love of Christ. I mean, he's using words that just, you know, you, you get a picture of a guy kind of like the first time I went to Chicago and I saw the Sears Tower. I was a typical tourist. You know? You know, I just looking all around. Oh, look at this, you know. I mean, that's the picture I get in my mind of, of what Paul's talking about. I want you to get like it's, you can't see the end of it. You can't. But I want you to know it. I want you to know it. And that's what Paul's praying for. To comprehend the incomprehensible. And then number five, and this is where you thought that one was an amazing request. This last one, in fact, if you were to go online, if you had internet, and and listen to last week's message, you'll hear me reading this passage. And when I read this, I stumbled at my words because it smacked me. I thought... And I said something about it, but then I, I went on, but I thought, what in the world does that even mean? Listen to what Paul prays for next. And the statement I'm put up here is basically the same thing he says in the Bible here. And he says, that you may be filled 
with all the fullness of God. Now, the universe could not contain God. Right? And yet Paul says, I want you to be filled with the fullness of God. The Greek word for filled is filled, and the Greek word for fullness is fullness. They did a great job translating this one. Paul's literally saying, I want you to be filled up with the fullness of God. I'm going to stand before you today and tell you right now, I don't even know how to explain that. I don't... I can't comprehend what that means. I could have some really good theological statements about it, but at the end of the day, this is an amazing request that Paul's making. And I want you to know I prayed it for you this week. As Paul prayed it for these Ephesians, I pray it for all of you. I pray it for myself. God, Paul had the audacity to pray that us human beings would be filled with your fullness. Do you still do that? If you do, God, will we be filled with your fullness? There, there's a definite about this. There's a lot of things in the Bible that talk about a already but not yet kind of idea. Like There's things that we have already but we don't really have them completely. And you kind of get that in here. Like, could you ever get to the fullness of God? I don't know. I mean, could you ever really be completely filled with the fullness of God? Maybe when we get to heaven, what that will be completed, but yet Paul's praying for it right now. I think we definitely need to understand this is not something we shouldn't be asking. We should be asking these kinds of prayers. We should be praying for these kinds of things. Which means, as we get to the end here... I have three concerns, and they're not going to be up there. I'm just sharing them with you. Instead of applications this week, I have three concerns. Concern number one is a very simple one. Concern number one is that if we were all to be honest right in this room right now, I think most of us would say, not all of you, because some of you do, but there's, there, I believe there's probably at least a few of you here that would say, you know what, I don't pray. I have prayed, but in... I pray for my meals. I pray for, you know, these random things. But the, the truth is, I, don't, I just don't pray. I know I should. In fact, I, p- I feel pretty good in church sometimes when we talk about prayer and then I walk away from it and I go, I really don't pray enough. I should pray more. But you've probably done that 20, 30 times over the course of your Christian life and you still don't pray. Right? Th- this should be concerning to us. I, I imagine a, a child outside of a you know, candy shop. And the owner opens the door and says, Come on in. I want to give you the best of my treats. The best that I've got. And i got some special candy. It won't make you sick. It's so good. And you stand there and go, Man, I should go in there. And you don't. But it's it's bigger than that. Because God has made the way. Christ paved the path for you to be able to go to God in prayer through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It's a wonder. It's a marvel that God hasn't stamped us all out because of our lack of prayer. It's purely and simply God's grace that that hasn't happened yet. To, to have Christ give His life on the cross, to open up the, 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 the veil, the separation, into the Holy of Holies, so that we can have boldness to enter in and, and, and present our request to the Father. That Christ paid for that with His life. And we go, eh, I should probably do that. I should probably pray. Just don't. And we, it's it's a miracle that God has not squashed us. My second concern is that when we do pray, we don't pray this way. 
We don't pray this way. Now, once again, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm not talking about sounding eloquent. When I say pray this way, I'm not saying that you're going to sit down and say, God our Father, right? I'm not talking about praying eloquently. What I'm saying is this. The content of our prayers for many of us, when we do finally pray, we sit down and pray and we say, in fact, there's a repetitiveness set of words we say. Lord, please be with, and please be with, and please be with, and please be with, right? And if we dig into the content, most of our prayers are, Lord, could you help us not to be sick? Could you help us not to be poor? Could you give us some stuff? We need, we got some issues, we got some things. Could you help us out with it and give us this stuff? Now, not all the time, don't get me wrong. Not all the time. I think most of us, if we were honest, not all of us, but most of us, if we were honest, the, the vast majority of... We, we pray so little, and then the biggest chunk of what we do pray, the majority of it is simply, gimme, gimme, gimme. I don't feel good. Make me feel better. I don't have enough stuff. Give me more. Right? In fact, some of us, we're real, really honest. We'd say that was the whole prayer. Sometimes just to make sure we get this stuff. Now think about how repulsive this is. Sometimes just to make sure that God will give us this stuff, we'll throw in at the beginning some thankful thankfulness, right? Well, I can't just go to God and ask Him for a bunch of stuff. I've got to say thank you first. And so you sit down. You have in your head, I really want God to pay this bill. I, I, I know it's coming up. It's a big thing. God says He'll provide our needs, so I want to pray for it. But you can't just sit down and pray for that. And so somewhere in the back of your head you go, I need to think of a bunch of things to thank Him for first. And then I can pray for that. And then if we're feeling really like if we really want it, we'll even throw in some hallowoods in there, right? Hallowed be thy name, Lord. You are holy and gracious and mighty. But in our hearts, in the depths of our hearts, we're only doing that because we really want something. And I know that God can give it. And I hope he doesn't hold it back from me because I really want it. And my life would be bad if I didn't have it. James calls that spiritual adultery. He says, some of you ask and you don't get because you, you, you ask amiss. You're asking because you just want it for yourself. And so my second concern is we don't pray this way. We don't, we don't pray with the gospel of Jesus Christ in mind, many of us. That we don't pray with the thought that God has already given us everything in Christ. We really don't need anything else. We might pray for feeling better, but man, I, I just want to make sure I don't miss Jesus. I've got some bills that are coming up, but you know what? Take it or leave it. I just need Jesus. And when we pray for other people, Lord, I hope they get to feeling better, but you know what? All I really care about, God, is that they have Jesus. That's all I care about. I want them to have the greatest thing. We just don't pray that way. Yet Paul, that was the, 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 the sole focus of his prayer. Was, it, was, it was like... It was like it had been marinating in the gospel for a while. right? All of his thoughts he did on Jesus and who is Jesus and who is God and what has he done. And then, then he breaks into prayer because it was soaked in the gospel. right? And so maybe the, this can bring us to our third concern. My third concern is that the reason why we don't pray this way is because we don't think this way. We don't immerse ourselves and soak ourselves in the gospel we soak ourselves in everything else of life. We immerse ourselves in everything else in life. We're a busy people. We've got things to do and people to see. We've got stuff going on. I don't have time to immerse myself in the gospel and to think about it. I mean, Paul's motivation to pray both times in this passage, in chapter 1 and now again, both times it was motivated or moved by all this writing about what Christ had done. Paul was immersing himself in thinking about what Jesus has done and what God did through him and what God is doing in the world because of that. And all of that, it's for this reason that I pray. And so many of us, what really needs to change, where the repentance really needs to happen, and maybe this is why we failed so often in saying, oh, I probably need to pray. I know I need to pray. I should probably pray. And one of the reasons why we failed is... Not because we just need to have more dedication to pray. That's not going to fix it because most of us have tried that and it's, it's flopped, hasn't it? I mean, how many times have you said, I really need to pray and then you find yourself at the end of the week and you haven't changed? 
at all. You haven't prayed. Maybe you prayed one more time. What really needs to change is not that we just need to try to make sure we pray more. What really needs to change is how you think. Right? There's a perfect word for this. It's the Greek word metanoia. Change your mind. We translate it this way. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. Soak yourself in what Jesus has done. Think about it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Get out your Bible. Read the Bible. Study it. Ask yourself, what has God done for me? Read through Ephesians again and again and again until read through it so many times that you just sit there and you go, I gotta stop, I gotta pray. Because I don't want anybody to miss this. And that's what Paul did. Ultimately, his prayer is that people will get it. They won't miss it. They won't miss who Jesus is. That's all he cares about. They won't miss it. So maybe what really needs to change, we need to change how we think. And that's not going to happen apart from the power of Christ. So I want to encourage you this week. Pray, yeah. That's easy to say, isn't it? Pray this week. Okay, got it, Matt. I want to encourage you this week to pray specifically for each other. And I want you to pray for this. Pray that there won't be anybody in this room today. And look around before you go. Make sure you get some names in your head. At least some faces, right? Why don't you pray for each other that there won't be a single person in this room that won't be captured by Jesus and how amazing He is. Pray for each other. Nobody will miss it. Not one person in this room will miss it. This isn't about religion. This isn't about just doing church. This isn't about those things. This is about the fact that God, in His great grace, created us, has had patience with us, has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for a group of people that hated Him to die on the cross, taking all of the wrath and justice of God upon Himself for all the crimes that you've committed. And then he freely says, I'm going to give you, as a gift, a righteous life that you didn't live. I'm going to give it to you. There's not one thing you can do to earn it. And not only that, your heart was so hard against it that the only way it was possible for you to grasp it was for Christ himself to make you alive and pour His Spirit into you, giving you spiritual life so that you could have comprehension and understand the love of Christ. He's done it all. He deserves all the glory. And He's done all of this for you. And let that be a motivation to you this week. He's done everything. He's done everything for me. Get on your knees if you can and say, God, or like Paul tells Timothy, I want men everywhere lifting holy hands up and, and praying to God. Right? Instead of be using your mouth for arguing and quarreling, use it for prayer. Pray big prayers. Pray gospel-sized prayers. And pray prayers that have been soaked in a week of, of reading the gospel message and studying the gospel message and and. and, and and that God's Spirit will give you those words. Okay, now I can, I'm, I'm getting it now. I'm understanding it. And pray that none of us will miss it. Now I want to begin that today by praying for you. And I'm going to use Paul's prayer as my guide. And I want to pray Paul's prayer. These big, amazing requests. He prayed for the people of Ephesus. I want to pray today for you. For these things. Now, right before I do, I have to throw in one last thought. Because I guarantee that this thought may cross your mind at some point. Because when I start talking about being filled with the fullness of God, it may cross your mind. This may pass through. It may only be for a moment. Some of you may dwell on it. And now that I've said it, it may really pop in there. But some of you are going to hear being filled with the fullness of God. And you may think to yourself, I don't know if I really want that. I mean, I want to go to heaven, but to be filled with the fullness of God, that could mean some major drastic changes in my life. I don't know if I'm willing to go down that path. 
I don't know if I'm willing to go there. God, I've seen, I've seen what you have people do in your word. I've seen what they've gone through. And so it may only be there for a second. But I want to encourage you to push on past that and say, God, you know, you know what, whatever it may mean for me in my life, I'll take it. Sign me up, Lord. I just want you. So let's pray this together. Lord, uh, Paul, as he wrote about the gospel, came to this place in Ephesians chapter 3. And it says he bowed his knees before the Father and prayed these things for the people of Ephesus. And so, Lord, I pray to you today for the, for the people of this church, the people here at Edgewood. Lord, I want to pray the same things that Paul prayed for those people so long ago. Lord, I'm going to read through this as a prayer. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, God, according to the riches of Your glory, that You may grant the people here at Edgewood to be strengthened with power through Your Spirit in their inner beings. Lord, I pray this so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, Lord, that these people may be rooted and grounded in love in order that they may have the strength, the ability to comprehend with all the other saints, Lord, that that in this community of believers, not apart, not out on their own, Lord, but I know that your way is right here in this community with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth, Lord, and that these people and myself, Lord, that we together would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Lord, that all of us may be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, now I know we haven't talked about the last, but Paul closes his prayer by saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, I close this prayer myself saying, Lord, we pray only that You would do this at this church. Lord, we pray for Your power through the Spirit that You would dwell in our hearts that we may know love and know the love of Christ and to be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who made it all possible for us to even ask. We enter into it with boldness and confidence into the throne room of grace before God our Father and because of Christ. And we ask this only in His name. Amen.